0: Hello everybody and welcome to the new Charlestonian Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Wilkinson, bringing you conversations in the Holy City. And what a conversation uh, I had with Nathan Durfee. For those of you who don't know, Nathan Durfee is a uh, preeminent uh, young artist in Charleston, uh, best known for his paintings, uh, but I know he does some illustration stuff as well. Uh, and we had a fantastic conversation of... Uh, we met up at Robert Lang Studios, which shows his artwork, and uh, you can hear later in the, in the recording, uh, it started to, to rain, and of course, you know, like Charleston weather is prone to do, uh, it just hit really hard and really heavy for a bit, and then lets up, and then continues again, uh, so be prepared for that. His talent is undeniable, and seeing his growth and development, even to someone like me who by no means is an art expert uh, I can still see those changes take place over the past gee, probably five years or so and I've always loved this work and I hope you will too so enjoy. Much introducing, I imagine most people I guess, who I, I imagine most people who are familiar
1: with the art scene, the Charleston like, art scene, yeah, tra- yeah, Charleston art scene, which oh. is like if you're familiar with, with West Coast polka music, then you'll know. Uh, my name is Nathan Durfee. I am <laughs> okay. a painter mm-hmm. here in Charleston. Uh, I'm represented by Robert Lang Studios, which I love, mm-hmm. and it's, it's it's actually it's kind of a funny story what got me into the gallery, mm-hmm. but uh, I've been showing here, I, I've been living in Charleston for seven years, I've been showing my art here for six, mm. and I guess the biggest feather in my cap right now is I just did this Piccolo Spoleto poster, and I just showed so, the city gallery, and then I was voted best visual artist by the Charleston City paper for four years in a row.
0: You presented like Petra Kucha and stuff. Yep,
1: I, I have hosted, presented, and done a poster. That's okay. the poster. Okay. It's the trifecta. What, what gets me is that you're you're like giddy, like
0: oh, podcast time. I'm excited. Just, I've
1: never. I love I love I, I loved talking, and yeah. I love talking with, especially this, this one-on-one mm, banter, and you can kind of dip from serious to goofy, and yeah. And you're 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 not bad either, Tom. Oh, well, Thomas yeah. Thomas? Hmm? Yeah. I usually I usually go with Thomas. Thomas right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, only like that bad other time. Only I don't know people. why I should have
1: specified. I mean, we're, we're great friends, so I don't know why yeah. I need to. Well, and actually, we're I mean, we're
0: here in we're actually in, we're in Robert in, Langston, in RLS, yeah. as the the hip kids say. Um, but you said you you've been in Charleston seven years. Yes. So in utero, in utero, where in utero? Yeah, where were you where are
1: you uh, where do you come from? Where uh, do you hail? From I come from Vermont, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, my parents dad's side of the family have, have been seven generation from honor mm-hmm. uh, well my great grandfather was born in Connecticut, but that's a secret we're not letting <laughs> that go out. You guys can Vermont. keep the secret right good uh, and my mom's side lives in Pennsylvania uh, they met on the Cornell ski team mm-hmm. they both ski raced at cornell and then uh they moved to Vermont. And I was born in nineteen eighty three. I'm thirty. Really? Uh, yeah, thirty. All right. And this is what you have to show for it. <laughs> for those of you who are listening, I don't look thirty. No.
0: Yeah. Uh, and so, well, so so you said they both went to Cornell. What what did they
1: like? What were their what did they do they business administration? I think my mom went to the hotel school. Mm-hmm. And is that what they did? Job wise stuff. Did they? My mom. Uh, she did, well, she was a mom for a lot of it. And mm-hmm. then when we uh, kind of started growing up, my mom and dad ended up buying and running a 7-Eleven. Mm, really? So all through high school, I worked graveyard shifts. Or all through high school, I helped them out at 7-Eleven. And then in college, when I came home for the summer, I worked graveyard shifts. Mm-hmm. 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. So was, because grocery uh
0: Seven Eleven seems to carry its fair share of, of possible danger. But then again, in Vermont, do you have to worry?
1: Well, about... Well, th- th- actually, this was this was out in California now, mm-hmm. but. Uh, I, guess I-, I was in Vermont up until. High school. Yep. And then in high school moved to California. And it, and it was actually a great move for me because in Vermont, I was a really awkward... I was a socially awkward kid. Mm. And given... I do understand that it's it's awkward for anyone. Yeah. In middle school... If someone says they had a great time in middle school, they're probably not having a great time later on in life. <laughs> uh, but... <laughs> uh, but I think I was... I was just I was a late bloomer, uh and I was in a very small country town and then we moved to an area that was a bit more affluent mm-hmm. and I remember everyone had Stussy shorts and or everyone was wearing Stussy hats and no fear clothing mm-hmm. and tevas. And I didn't have I, and I I showed up first day of school in sweatpants and a turtleneck. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to bounce back from that, yeah. especially when you're still wearing sweatpants and a turtleneck well into middle school. Mm-hmm. And and I think like by, by the time I started growing a personality, I was ostracized to the point that it would have taken a major overhaul. But then we moved. Yeah. And so that was the overhaul that I needed. And I really didn't start discovering who I was and who I was as a social person until freshman year in high school when we moved out west. And mm-hmm. that's when they took over the 7-Eleven. And then I became really popular because I could provide Slurpees for my students at parties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is
0: Slurpees, just Slurpees, or the tasty fun, kind of Slurpees, fun Slurpees. the fun kind Slurpees.
1: Yeah. So, well, it seems like the, the Slurpees with the gold flakes yeah. in it. I think it's cool how. I I don't know if if you ever did this, but. Did you go like, like like a progression of alcohol where like when you were eighteen it was like goldschlager was the shit? No, I, I
0: started off. You started with uh, bourbon? Yeah, bourbon <laughs> yeah, from the get go, I, I was like, all right, I gotta. I just I've, I've always had the sensibility of like a seventy year old man, you know. When it came time, it, but the, here's the thing: it's like I didn't go out, I didn't party and stuff. I was very like, I was very methodical about it. I was like, all right, well. Like, I, I actually, I remember the first time I, I drank anything, for, I mean, other than I'd had like a couple beers or Your something. dad gives you a swig of beer or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, but first time I actually it was like, okay, I'm going to, you know. Drink. Yeah, drink to the point where like I experience any form of drunkenness. And uh, it was actually after I had gotten, it was actually after I had gotten back from Clemson because I went, freshman year I went to Clemson. You were in college, yeah, and you got and drunk so, for the first time. Yeah, and so wow. and so I was actually I was actually back home, and one night uh, I think I was the only one at my parents' house, and you know they, they had a, a dusty liquor cabinet that was you know only they only you know drank if like someone was coming over or yeah. if there was like some sort of party or something. So otherwise it would just kind of sit there. And I I remember I like figured out I looked online. I was like all right so this is how much no all right so if it's if it's whiskey it's going to be like you know this many ounces that equals one drink and so like i would i would pour like i would i didn't quite Did you have a measuring out. cup? Did I, you pour I, your booze in a measuring cup? I, did, I just I you know I just eyeballed it but i did i would you know i was just browsing the internet and then i was would have you know a glass of whiskey or something just be like okay and then So you're 18? 19? Uh, probably like 19. All and right. so then then I would, as I would go, I would like make mental
1: notes of like, all right, to class
0: number two. I so are, are you swimming. by
1: yourself at your parents' house yeah. during all of this? Yeah. So the first time you drank was alone. Yeah,
0: and I think that kind of set the set the Set the stage. Set the stage. <laughs> that was the
1: precedent from there on out. <laughs> I drank bourbon by myself. Yeah. <laughs> to seven years later. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, so, that was, yeah, that was my kind of drinking experience, I, I didn't really go out and party, it was, it was more of a, I, I'm, I'm a big, uh, I think a big thing with control with myself, I have to like, this because I've never done any drugs or anything too. You wear button-down shirts. Yeah.
1: I'm... not or button-down collar. I'm a gentleman. Uh, it's a sign sh- of control. Oh, like You don't want like those collars to yeah flip up. They got to be buttoned down. Yeah, they can. You know, you flip up, and then next thing you know, you're doing keg stands. Next, um, yeah, and then you're voting Democrat. Yeah. What's what happens to the world then? Yeah. Get a Join, black president. A president. <laughs> uh, yep. Actually, that joke is so bad. <laughs> but second term, I can't see. <laughs> but um, yeah, so
0: I just. I like, need to get better at this. <laughs> you're, you're doing fine. It's okay. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so my, I had this big kind of, like, control thing, which is why I think I've never really done any drugs, because I'm terrified of, like, my girlfriend has said this, and she's like, yeah, I said, you would be, like, the worst person to be on, like, ask or something, because you wouldn't just, like, sit back and go with it, you'd be trying to control.
1: Hang on to reality. Yeah, you'd
0: be trying to control your trip, and that's always the worst person to be with, uh, when that's going on. So
1: you haven't tried anything
0: like that? No, no. So that was, that was my, I was like, all right, well, I'm going to, it was really like a science experiment. I was like, I'm going to get a portion this out, and like, I might as well have been having like a journal and just like making notes.
1: See, I was hoping that you would play out some sort of can hardly wait moment where you mm-hmm. have that cheat sheet card that show your blood alcohol content level, and you go to a raging party, and then you just forget about it, and then you have a threesome in the end. That would be that would be a great first drinking store. But yours is cool too. Yeah. Alone, <laughs> at your parents' house. It's uh, if by cool you mean sad, then no, it's no. not. I, just, I imagine you in a blazer. Uh, was there a fireplace nearby? It didn't have to be turned there, on. There's one in the house. Okay, yeah,
0: it was you know.
1: Was there a pool table? Hmm? No,
0: no pool table. Right. But I was like surrounded by like an ink well.
1: Like what? A like sealing, yeah,
0: sealing wax and stamps. I'm gonna write a letter. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, dear Mister Patterson. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So I. Uh, oh yeah. So anyway, Slurpees.
1: You kind of came into it and stuff. Yeah, it, it was actually funny because a lot of my young delinquency started through ski racing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would. And. Uh, can talk about this uh, it was it, it was a big family sport and we would all and we ski raced like all me and my brother and my sister mm. and we would go on ski racing trips where they would be for for like downhill ski racing slalom races we had to travel for it mm. and so our racing team would travel and it'd be this big responsible thing our dad was so proud of us and we would go and for a week we would just drink and gamble mm-hmm. and we'd play poker and just and it, it, it wasn't even I mean you, you were drinking some nice quality dark liquor mm. I was it was Goldschlager and Smirnoff Ice yeah. uh, Parrot Bay and it was my ski racing friends that were the ones that really it, that sort of Influenced me into mm. this kind of stuff. And I I, I was still a good kid. Yeah. You know, I got good grades. I, I only got in trouble. I was. The first time I mixed drinking in school was at a school. It was a spring fling school mm. dance. My junior. Yes, junior year in high school. Uh, our geometry teacher was DJing. And so we all decided that we were going to have some drinks before we go. Mm. My date got. Plastered, and we go to the dance, and she's like, "I'm not going in there." And so we lay some blankets out, and she sleeps in the back of my car, and the rest of us go into the dance, like responsible people. Mm. (laughs) This is this is just dumb. You know, I was seventeen or something, Mm. and so the cops end up going through the parking lot, checking. People were smoking yeah. weed or something. And they find this girl passed out in the back of my car. Mm. They drag me out. Uh, they breathalyze me. I have a .08. But since I'm a minor, I had internal possession of alcohol mm. at a school function, suspended. Whoa, internal possession? Internal possession. I hid it in my tummy. So, huh. That's how they get you, like, because it, it, they can't say drunk in public. Yeah. Because you're, well, you're not drunk. Yeah. You're, I mean... If I was 21, I could have drove home. Yeah. Uh, But it's internal possession, and so I got suspended. My date, since she was in the parking lot, Mm -hmm. got off scot-free. And so that was the only time I got in trouble for alcohol. Um, I don't know. This has nothing to do with my artwork. (laughs) Well, I mean, well, I think that, because you were talking before, you said that you were kind of... Uh, sort of socially awkward. And I feel yeah, like, I feel like and it, alcohol really did help it. No. <laughs> well,
0: but I, I, I feel like anyone who
1: no, that, that, that was. So, I mean, it, it's funny now, especially in Charleston. It, it's it's Charleston's become a very uh, alcohol driven town. Mm-hmm. I, I've discovered, and it's and I'm not quite sure how I feel about it just yet, but um, but it. it It wasn't until, like, I think I became a socially... I I learned social skills back in Vermont, Mm -hmm. but I was ostracized so much that I didn't really get a chance to use them. And it wasn't until I hit the reset button, moved out west, and sort of rediscovered myself that I started making friends and discovering who I was. And I just became this goofy, oddball person, but also had a, not a chip on a shoulder, but...
0: I don't know. Yeah, well, I I think it, especially something like like painting mm-hmm. it it demands that you be with yourself. Just kind of solitary for lengths of time. And I I feel like that that part of you as a kid that you know grows up kind of being within yourself. I feel mm-hmm. like whether or not you kind of learn it's like okay I I can be you know around people and be social and have fun I feel like that never really leaves you and that that kind of I wonder if that contributes at all to the the, the ability to like okay I'm going to take you know however many hours and just be here alone in my studio to you know, put this thing together
1: yeah well I I didn't originally I didn't know I was going to be a fine artist mm. uh I, all through high school I thought I was going to be a math or science nerd mm-hmm. going to bioengineering or something and then my it was the I think it was the beginning of my end of my junior year, beginning of my senior year during a summer class I, I, I'd always took art classes but mm-hmm. I never thought I was going to do something yeah. and then someone who worked in video games came to our school and talked about how he desi- he was a concept artist and that blew my mind because mm-hmm. I was, I enjoyed video yeah. games. Like, wow, I could do a living doing this. Where do I sign up? And told my parents, I was like, I want, I want to go to art school. Mm-hmm. And my parents said, all right, we support you. And then they went to my guidance counselor and said, when you get this kid back on the maths and sciences, he shouldn't yeah. be an artist. Mm-hmm. And my art teacher at the time ended up having arranging a meeting with my parents to convince them that i had what it took to become an artist and so so it wasn't until that meeting with ann clark at incline village high school to talk to my parents and convince them that i had what it took to be an artist Mm -hmm. and then they were supporting me in that and so I went to Savannah College of Art and Design to study what, illustration.
0: What do you think? Do you know what? What did she see in
1: Oh. You know, I've never asked her that question. Uh, I remember though. I like, I took the AP portfolio class in high school, and I ended up skipping other classes to go into the art room to finish up projects. And, I think she noticed that when everyone else was painting snowboards and building ashtrays, I was kind of exploring this other world and going a bit more of an illustrative route. She I don't know, she saw something in me, she saw potential and wanted to she's she told my parents that I would be miserable if I got into something else. And mm-hmm. I I think she she might be right about that, but I mean who knows? Yeah. I, I, I might have Cured cancer or something. I always think that's weird. Like, what if, like, even a, a great, like, what if Chuck Close, if he had become a doctor, cured, like, ended war yeah. or something, but decided to become an artist instead. I mean, I. I yeah, yeah
0: I that's interesting though. That that the possibility that what you saw may may not have been a thing, but almost not not a like plus but almost a negative and like in a way that that it's not so much a a set of particular skills whatever it's just the fact that if this isn't something that you do you'll be unhappy and almost like all that's necessary um, is the drive to keep going kind of regardless
1: well it is I mean you're always taught to find your passion find what you're good at and keep doing it but I think it's scary to if you find something you're good at and you're like oh this is what i'm meant to be doing but it's like no you're actually really great at something else you're Mm -hmm. wasting your time doing the thing you're good at Mm -hmm. because you could be you know what if john lennon was like "Ah, this beatles thing i don't i don't my (laughs) i'm pretty good caricature artist so um i really think that's where Mm -hmm. my well that's a bad example maybe would have been on this planet longer. Uh, sorry, we're gonna keep going. From that. <laughs> I gave a bad example. Do, do you? <laughs> do you ever? Do you ever kind of think about that? Now? What if Kurt Cobain? Wait, no. What if Elvis? Wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone? Actually, that's a great question. I mean, would you? Would you trade? Would you shave twenty years off your life to go down in the history books as a legend?
0: Mm-hmm. Or the other thing too is, would would you live a you know kind of unfulfilled life, but in in so doing produce something that helps people in tangible ways, like you're saying? You know, if you you cure cancer, if you come up some sort of vaccine or mm-hmm. something,
1: um, or would you give up doing something that you could be really good at, but? In exchange to starting a family, knowing that your kid's going to be really good at something, mm. like if Paul McCarthy's dad was a pretty good musician, he had—I don't even know. This is, might be a horrible example as well, but I mean, if he had a good career going and his and the wife's like, "You need to give this up because you have a son," and he's like, "All right, I'm giving up my dreams," and you're like, yeah. "Well, that paid off." <laughs> well, I feel like I feel like a lot of parents do kind of. Uh,
0: they I wouldn't say resign themselves to to that fate but I think think with a lot of successful people you'll hear with their stories it's like they got some of what they do you know what they they're successful at Um, they got that from one of their parents because at some point the parent did it but whether it was an active thing or passive thing acknowledge that I, I, because of the circumstances I can't make this a viable you know career or whatever but if I end up doing this and teaching my kid how to play guitar at you know four or something yeah
1: well that's just, I mean, it's always a weird crapshoot because especially in the arts because you I, I almost think of the analogy that you you jump into the ocean Mm -hmm. and you start and it's like you you take your boat out to the middle of the ocean and you just jump off into the water you just start swimming downward Mm -hmm. and you're hoping you hit something you're hoping you hit something great and you just start swimming down deeper and deeper and deeper and you're starting to run out of air Mm -hmm. and you're at a point where you're like should I turn back Mm -hmm but you know like once you hit something or let's say it's a hatch door into paradise down at the bottom like once you hit that door everything's gonna be set and you can breathe down there and everything's gonna be wonderful Mm -hmm. and you start pedaling down deeper and deeper and deeper and you start getting tired and you're like should I turn back because you have no idea how much further you need to swim and the the deeper down you go the more you're thinking you know I gotta be getting close to this thing Mm -hmm. and I think that's a it's a difficult decision to go back up for air, yeah. and and I guess and, I, and it's it's not giving and I I don't consider it giving up either because you know being a loving parent and a dad yeah. or uh, is is a very noble thing and. And you you hear all these wonderful stories where someone just kept on pursuing it and pursuing it, and then when they reached seventy, they finally broke and then yeah. became this really well-known artist but that then for seventy years I mean was he neglecting his parent his family was yeah. his, did his kids resent him mm. Was his wife like give up the band yeah. come spend time with the kids like no, I have a dream and mm. then they broke but what happens if they don't yeah. do you do you think you've you've hit that hatch. no you don't I don't I I I, I still think that there's like I, I've I've got I, I've hit some things mm-hmm. but um I, I don't think I've actually tapped into what I'm supposed to be doing no. just yet although that just may may be my own insecurities mm-hmm. And because it, it, I think it would be unfortunate if I hit what I was supposed to be hitting yeah, right now at 30 yeah, yeah. It, or it's scary like what if an artist at age 30 painted his best painting mm-hmm. like you're not gonna that's your hit but you're never gonna you're never gonna top that and doesn't matter what you do Or, and for example like I love the band Harvey Danger and they had that that the hit back in 2009 mm. maybe earlier no it's 2001 I think Flagpole Sitta yeah. and I love that song and they had two more albums after that and then they broke up but they kept on producing music it was just great music but just, it never caught tread to what that first album that first hit was mm. but you just you keep doing it for yourself No. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, what, what was the moment where
0: where you thought to yourself I, I've got to come come up for air soon or or that decision moment where it's like if I'm gonna go up for air
1: this is where I do it oh um it was right when uh so I graduated with a degree in illustration from SCAD right yeah and I was and I was pretty sure I was not going to support myself as an illustrator couldn't right when I got out of college right when the magazine the print industry kind of crashed yeah and there was just no work for illustrators, especially bad illustrators. And I, I, I wasn't bad, but it wasn't good. I was fresh out of college. Yeah. Everyone sucks. And so I needed a real job. And so a menswear company in Charleston, Ben Silver offered me a job as their color specialist and I did photo retouching and some light design work for them. And so I did that during the day and during the night I would paint and get bolster my portfolio and send out work for jobs. And I got one illustration job with Charleston Magazine. Mm-hmm. It was a full-page gig. It paid next to nothing. And that was my one illustration gig for a few years. But I loved to just paint and do work, so I just kept on doing work on my own. And so what I ended up doing is paintings that looked like children's book illustrations, but I didn't have a story or anything. Mm-hmm. So I I was in a, improv theater here in Charleston, Theater 99, and talking with the owners because my girlfriend at the time was auditioning for something. And they said, oh, you're an artist. Come show work. I'll eventually reach the point of the coming out fair, but I, mm. I think we should talk about yeah. where I came from. And so I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll bring some work in. And so Hung work there for eight months, sold one painting, but the person who sold the painting had a friend who was opening a gallery in West Ashley, mm. which is a neighboring town. And the lady who bought the painting pitched my work to that gallery owner and so she approached me and said hey would you like to be represented and I never thought I would be at a point where I'd be a fine artist mm-hmm. so I thought I might as well shop around like see what other galleries yeah. see what's out there and one of the galleries was Robert Lang Studios mm-hmm. and I went to them and I showed them my work and they were like this has all seemed nice. Uh, thank you for showing us your portfolio and keep it up. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, modern is made It is, yeah. And so went to the other gallery and I was there for a year and I was still working at Ben Silver. And after a year that gallery closed down and the gallery owner approached and actually I am in the room with Robert. So if, <laughs> if, if I stray from this story, um, he please speak up because I don't want to be telling lies. Um, Christy the gallery owner pr- approaches them and says hey I'm closing my doors but I have these two artists that I really think would be a good fit and I want to see them stay here can you represent them and back then they had a lot of space and they're like yeah w- we'll take them on mm-hmm. and so uh, they they took us on it's, and, and we can argue about this I, I felt it was almost like a charity case because I didn't feel like I really belonged there But I was so excited that I was there. And I Mm. sold three paintings right off the bat. Yeah. And I was like, I've made it. Mm. So I quit my job. I'm I'm an artist now. I'm in Robert Lang Studios. I'm a professional start acting when I had grown up. Mm. I I, I remember I bought a coat, like a sports jacket, Mm. for the opening. And then, so I sold three paintings right off the bat, quit my job, and then did not sell a painting for eight months. And that's when doubt started to set in, mm-hmm. started panicking. Uh, I had a show sched, I had a solo show scheduled in November, and it was January when they picked me up. And so it was like February to November, did not sell a single painting. And towards the end, like while my show was approaching, they're like, "Well, we we haven't found the right audience for you. Mm-hmm. We haven't, you know, maybe this other gallery might be a better fit for you." And I, I was panicking. And, you know, I started, I, I did two things. One is that I, I started beefing up my resume again because I thought I had to go back out find yeah. another job. But I also, I became a total recluse and I just started painting and painting. And I had this just weird breakthrough. Mm. And there were like five or six paintings in my solo show in November where it was a big turn and some things clicked and my solo show ended up going really well and i ended up selling a lot of work and that's when the momentum started to build and that was in was that 2009 2008 i think 2008 november 2008 and so i've had i'm on my fifth fifth or sixth well if if, if you don't include the collaborative shows I'm probably on my fifth or sixth solo show with you guys. And then a couple three collaboratives. Yeah. So I've had eight solo shows or collaborative shows here. So like that was one moment where I felt like I had to turn and go up for air Mm. was it it, it was that I was I had enough money saved up when I quit my job. I was like I can go for a year. And eight months marker hit, and I was like, maybe I should start. It was fun, and no, and then it it ended up swinging the other way, so I I came close, and fortunately uh, the solo show worked out, and things have been going well ever since. And and that being said, it's you can never get too cocky. Mm -hmm. That's the weird thing about art is... You have to still convince people that you're good. You need to continue to produce great work. You can't. Or I mean, maybe eventually there's a point where you can kind of glide, but yeah, um, you need to remind yourself that you're not there. Mm-hmm. I I remember one of my worst shows was during that eight month period. I started. I was like, maybe I need to show other places. Mm-hmm. So I like I had shows at like restaurants, and it was just it was just me trying to get myself out there. And I had a show at a bar. Uh, I had to get all all new frames and things, so I spent five hundred dollars on frames. Had the show, did not sell a single piece, and got my bike stolen <laughs> at the end of the night. Where it was, it, it was, it felt so bad because it, it's weird when you have an art show and like, even though it was, was kind of busy, mm-hmm. people weren't there to actually talk to me. So I'm just like, I'm this awkward person in a corner with a name tag, yeah, standing in front of my artwork, and no one's coming to talk to me, and you're just like. Yeah, I feel there. like I feel like uh, maybe it's different
0: when you get to a, a certain point in kind of your career and stuff. But I feel like, especially when you're starting off, uh, the, a far worse fate uh, than people being critical is people just not paying attention at all. And just... Because I, mean, I feel like sometimes you're almost like, I, I just... I just want a reaction. I just want, like, a yes or no. And
1: You it, want someone to know you're not the artist and then talk about your art. Yeah. Yeah. The whole fly-on-the-wall fantasy is very appropriate. Although, I don't want people to say... I'd rather them shut up than to say they don't like my work. Really? Or especially...
0: Uh, I remember... Well, you, even then, when you um, were kind of doubting, well, you think you... Well, there's a point
1: of... I think there's a difference, in it, and it's somewhat like heckling. Mm-hmm. Where I remember I was working on a commission with someone, or a commission for someone, and I posted a preview picture, and I was like, I finished this person's shirt.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And someone commented saying, This shirt looks a little plasticky, and I don't like the bright colors. I think it would look better if it was dulled down. Mm-hmm. And I just, you just want to go fuck you. And <laughs> no, it, it's, but but then the person that the the painting was commissioned for saw the painting, saw the comment, mm. and they went back and says, "Well, can you dull down the colors?" And, uh. And I don't know, and I I will never know whether he would have liked it brighter. Or was it that other person's comment that instilled that doubt yeah. in that person? So, having someone who is educated in art speak to you and give you a critique of your work when you're looking for it is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But if you are, if it's opening night, you don't need a critique. Mm-hmm. You're nervous enough as it is, uh, and, and I've learned that message. I mean, I I have gone to other people's openings, and I have. Talk to the artist like, well, I didn't like this piece that much, and because I'm dumb, because yeah. I'm new to the art scene, I'm yeah. dumb, and you do dumb things when you're young.
0: well you're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be the guy that's, you know, honest, and honesty is the best, and the, the I'm truth a straight will, shooter. Yeah, the
1: truth will set you free, and then later on, yeah, I like, was an ass. You're, you're an <laughs> asshole, and and then you, you have people that come talk to you, and you're just like, and and, and you want to. And you wanted not like them, but at the same time, you recognize that you were there at some point. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know what we were getting off on that. Uh, yeah, I had my bike stolen at a show. That was that was fun. Yeah, it, it is awkward when you're standing by yourself. You really—it's it, fun to have a party mm. of your art show, and that's in the whole art walk and having the wine. And people's like, well, it gets people drunk, so they want to spend money. No, it's not about that. I think it's about it's about throwing a party. We're mm-hmm. celebrating a new body of work and a new voice, and it's not and it's not the pressure of trying to make sales. And that's one thing I do like about this gallery, because there there really is no pressure. It's just like let's everyone enjoy themselves. Mm-hmm. Kevin Costner, Field of Dreams style. Yeah, things are just gonna happen. Yeah,
0: well, I was. Playing piano a little bit before. Yeah, I not. Mean, Thomas was playing piano, yeah, missing missing notes, but yeah, I was like, oh well. Well, was, I, I didn't think you, you arrived
1: good. yet, so I was chatting with someone else for a little bit. And I look over and you're playing the piano. And I'm like, yeah. all right, Thomas yeah. is waiting for me. So with the, because
0: uh, you said that you're, you know there was a period where you were just like hold up and just painting all the time. Yeah. How has because it's so over the past like four or five years has that Processed kind of changed because I feel like, in a, especially when you're young, um, and not to say that you aren't still young. I'm 30. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's old folks like you. How old are you, Thomas? Uh, 23. 23. Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. You look like shit. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's it's a <laughs> <laughs> all the scotch I've been drinking. all the scotch <laughs> all my parents scotch
1: I own a smoking jacket yeah. and I'm 23 uh, actually I have always been impressed by your sense of style and you do like you do have a very young face mm-hmm. but it's you dress a lot older a lot more sophisticated than who you are but at the same time you don't look like you grabbed your dad's jacket mm. it looks like you you picked out this stuff to match yourself That's good do know.
0: <laughs> well, because, like, if I perpetually look like fourteen years old, so I and I still can't grow like any facial hair. Um, yeah,
1: I can't either. But, oh god, I'm so jealous of those people that can grow beards.
0: Yeah, especially now that it's in. Yeah, it's like now. November's coming around in a couple months. No, it, it's it's. I feel like, in, like, the '90s, there there's a whole chunk of time, where I feel like between the '70s and like the maybe mid-2000s or something where to have any sort of facial hair was considered like uncouth and unprofessional. Yeah. You would never see were a lumberjack or a you would never see, like, a, you know, a, yeah, never see a, a businessman, you know, show up with like an actual beard or something and then there's this weird <laughs> shift. We would, like the thing about like 90s and 80s, you'd never, they're always clean cut and stuff and Burt Reynolds. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, Burt Reynolds is Burt Reynolds. You can Mustaches. That's all him. Chuck Norris. That's all sex.
1: Well, Chuck, Chuck Norris isn't
0: trying to sell you. Sell Sean you, Connery. Uh, I'm going to keep. That. <laughs> I'm,
1: th- I'm thinking examples to shoot through your logic, but it is it is a sound theory. Like yeah. facial hair was not as prominent mm. back then. It is coming back.
0: Yeah. So I feel like I'm going to once it goes through this cycle and then goes back. Like by the time it goes back to, hey everyone, let's be like clean shaven again. Yeah. I'm going to be a be at the age where I can grow facial hair and I will miss
1: that. I boat. think it'll be once Michael Sarah lands a serious acting role or not a serious acting role. Like once Michael Sarah becomes sexy again because I don't think he can grow a beard. <laughs> I don't I have not seen him grow a solid mustache yet. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking like once he becomes like the Don Draper. Yeah. Michael So Cera, I, so Cera I just have to keep my fingers crossed gotta <laughs> hold out. You got to root for Michael. Yeah. Got a little for stickers
0: on my calendar. It looks like faces phases at the moon. It's like, oh, let's see how Michael's gone. See how Michael's gone. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so, but, you're like, when, when you're young, you're kind of, not that not, not you don't, you definitely don't know what you're doing. Uh, but, oh, you, yeah. But you're, it's like you have to establish those those habits. You have to figure out, okay, do I, you know, spend the next eight hours whole away painting or do I do it kind of incrementally? And you have to figure out what works for you. Yeah. So, how has that process changed, if it has
1: at all? Well, I, I think the, the the first decision is like, like deciding what you're going to do. I I didn't know what I wanted to do in terms of being an artist. I just knew I wanted to be good at it mm-hmm. and I figured the only way to be good at it was to keep doing it. So it like I, I, it wasn't so much important to me what I was painting, just as long as I became a good painter. Mm-hmm. And so that took a lot of pressure off of me, because in terms of developing a style or knowing what type of art you were going to produce, mm-hmm. I just I happened to just pick something and uh, just run with it. And it wasn't like people asked, like, have you tried sculpture? Have you tried this? And I'm like. I, I haven't, just yeah. because like I'm trying to figure this thing out. Not that it's the the smartest thing for me. I don't know if it's the best thing to do with my time, but I've spent so much time doing it mm-hmm. in terms of I, I I've already dove down into yeah. this part of the ocean. There's no point in me swimming laterally. Yeah. Just keep it just keep it vertical. Just keep digging deeper and it's weird how much you can specialize um like even for the longest time, I only used bright brushes and mm-hmm. bright brushes are the ones with the flat top and they're shorter bristled. Mm-hmm. And I did all my painting with just flat brushes. Oh and it's amazing how much versatility and variety you can get just out of that one type of brush. And mm-hmm. so I was exploring that one brush and you think that you're really limiting yourself, but there's so much potential in that limitation. Mm-hmm. You're, you're really not and so I, and my goal was to become a good painter so I was painting paintings not necessarily to paint great paintings but I was painting paintings to become a great painter mm. and so my goal was to paint as much as I can while keeping sanity because that's yeah. important too like you, you you need a social life you need you know to not have a nervous breakdown
0: yeah well I, I remember uh, I was listening to an interview with the was a writer and his, but he was the, the screenwriter for uh, Le Miserable, okay. and is this this English gentleman, and he, he's older, he's like sixty or something. Um, he was talking about his his writing process and how he does stuff, and he says every day he wakes up about six and six thirty, sits down, starts writing, writes till about twelve or one, and he says for the rest of the day just doesn't write at all. He said the reason is because if you are, uh, if you're a writer or if you're trying to create things, it's like you, you have to live. You have to experience things. You have to, to see things and, and interact with people. Um, so you have something to, to draw from.
1: Yeah. It, 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 it is... It's a source, and you need to keep replenishing it. Mm-hmm. I... I am amazed to the point of jealousy of people that can get up that early, just work on something, and walk away from it. Mm-hmm. I... For the longest time, I have had my studio in, when I was in college, I had I did my painting in my dorm room. When I rented an apartment with roommates, I painted in my bedroom. And so I've always had my studio where I lived, and it's just been a part of me. And so now my schedule is, I'll get up. I want to say that I get up at 9.30, but it's more like 10.45 when I get out of bed. And I'll paint from 11 till 4. And then I'll go out and socialize. And I'll have a a late lunch, and I'll hang out with friends. And then I'll go back into the studio, and I'll paint from 8 until usually 1230. Mm -hmm. And then, or this was in the past. or This was up until recently, paint from 8 to 1230. Mm -hmm. And then I'd go out with friends from 1230 to 2. And socialize. And so. For me, when I broke it down into three to four hour shifts, Mm -hmm. it was that just felt like the comfortable window where I would start to clog the walls after three or four hours. And also, it it got me chances to go to a coffee shop, to go out and enjoy myself. And, And the hard thing is when you're left to your own devices, like you need to go out meet people mm. like I I eat out a lot or I go to dinner parties and it's not so much that I don't like cooking it's that I don't like cooking alone because I'm I'm by myself when I'm painting if I'm not painting I, I want to be out talking yeah. to people yeah, doing podcasts mm-hmm. yeah good, yeah good luck it's braiding right now
0: so good luck uh
1: getting back yeah no I won't be Back in the studio. Actually, I just finished some paintings, so I'm I'm at a a little happy break for the next four hours or so, and then I got to jump into something else for tonight. Mm. Maybe it's Friday. Maybe I'll maybe I'll go out. Maybe it's Friday. But also, I'm discovering I I did turn thirty, and I'm going through this weird I don't want to call it like a second puberty or something, but like I I feel older for the first time in a while mm-hmm. and so I'm, I'm trying to adjust myself and learn what makes me happy and what inspires me for the next couple decades mm-hmm. so it, if you would if you would have talked to me a year from now I might be that 6am to 1pm and then feed the ducks yeah is <laughs> a year from now not 40 <laughs> just I, I enjoy right. me some ducks yeah uh yeah, I, I don't know. And plus, I'm, I feel like I'm in a little transition with my artwork. My artwork's always transitioning. I'm always, I've accepted the idea that I'm going to be a wanderer with my, like a slow wanderer. Like I don't jump around from one style to the next willy-nilly, but I'm constantly looking to evolve and change either through color palette or different brushes or um, subject matter or color palettes. So I, I always like to grow and expand and look out and find the possibilities and things. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously the city's been receptive. Oh god, yeah. But what so what brought you here from, from from did you come to Charleston directly from SCAD? Yeah, I came to SCAD because of the the photo retouching job, the, the color oh, specialist okay. job at Ben Silver. Like I did not come here as an artist, I came here as a desk jockey. Okay, so so you the job is what brought you here. Yeah, and and it really it was just through these small series of fortunate events that led me into fine art. And I don't think it's I'm very lucky to come onto the scene at this certain time painting this certain way Mm. and to have people enjoy it. And I don't think not to discount what I do, but I don't think I would have had this success just anywhere in the U.S. Just mm. things clicked here for me. And I love it. it. it allowed me to throw myself into art and reinforce it so I can do it full. Like, I, I have grown a lot over the years, mm. but if it wasn't for that those first couple kicks of reinforcement, I probably would have kept... Either trying to be an illustrator or being a photo retoucher, mm. and that there's and I'm not saying that, and I enjoyed doing that work, but uh, I like this a lot better. Yeah. Do you think RLS? They're awesome. I, I feel, it feels so hip. RLS. The roles.
0: Yeah, I can I can abbreviate things. The Robert Lang Studios. Um, but I feel like Robert Lang Studios has a. Philosophy of of, sort of sharing and embracing, and do you is that particular to? Uh, well, it's definitely particular to um, to our last. But do you think that's something that's kind of uh, in, endorsed by the rest of the city, or
1: do you think that's more of just a? Um, well. I, I certainly believe that Robert Lang Studios has affected the, the... They have had an effect on the Charleston art scene, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, they have set their roots in the contemporary Charleston scene, mm-hmm. and they're not going to let go for a while. And if you walk into the gallery, you'll notice there's all these plus signs around the gallery, and Robert Lang himself has tattoos, plus signs, and it's it's positive energy. Mm-hmm. And I am I am amazed about how it, it, it's funny, like the first time I met them, they're just super nice people, and I'm like, wow, these guys are awesome. Mm-hmm. And then you start hanging out with them a while, and I'm like, wow, no one's that nice. Yeah. There's got to be something going on. And, but then you hang out with them more, and you're like, holy crap, they actually are that nice. Yeah. They really are genuinely that amazing of people. And so... Uh, and they they pull all these positive people into them and they they're very generous with their time and they've certainly nurtured me and helped me along Mm. and I you know I've I'm standing on the shoulders of them Mm. doing what I'm doing and I would not have been where I am now without their help And and they, they they have fun with it. Mm. I, I think that's I, I have galleries in other I mean I, I show in other cities and other towns, and it's weird like or, I, I tend to forget how much fun this gallery is. Mm. And I'm not saying it's just because he's here. <laughs> no, but he's, we can talk later. He's like, lording oh. over us. Oh. Uh, no, but I I've, 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 Robert Langs too has also voted. Best Gallery in Charleston four years in a row. (laughs) Uh, Are you guys four years now? Mm -hmm. Is it the exact four years that I was voted Best Visual Artist? (laughs) This is a conspiracy. Yeah. And we got Best Show three years in a row, right? I say we. (laughs) You guys got Best Show three years in a row. Well, I mean, you were talking about your, I think
0: your first, the first show you did back in, uh, You said like, what, 2009?
1: Uh well, two thousand eight was my first show at Robert Lang, my first solo show here. I was showing at Theater Ninety Nine as early as two thousand seven, and I was in Modern News May two thousand. Yeah. Or I was in Modern News May two thousand seven.
0: Was was the the Robert Lang your first Robert Lang show? Was that at the East Bay? East Bay Street okay. so location. I actually I think I may have been because I I don't know. There's this weird. I I've always had. A, this weird sort of, it's been a weird like magnetism, to, to Me? the huh <laughs> yes, this, this we've talked about this yes, I didn't know if it was gonna come out <laughs> this podcast surprise it only took yeah. an hour yeah um, no but I, I feel like there's <laughs> but well I, I feel, there's always been kind of a draw to the studio and I, I think yeah. that I I think that is something. The studio has that uh others don't i, th- I, f- I think when people are positive it, it wears off you know and stuff and, and it kind of it, it
1: spreads and
0: and everything yeah but but the idea wears
1: of- off isn't probably not the right word <laughs> yeah just, yes. rubs off yeah um, it rubs off on yeah, other yeah, people. yeah yeah uh and I'm not- <laughs> rob's positive energy wears off after yeah. a while if you catch him he too sits alone <laughs> in his parents' house with a bourbon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um. yeah, they're a nexus. Mm. They draw other great people into their circle, mm. and it's it's so weird. Like when you hang out with like they'll throw these parties and you'll hang out and you're like, wow, there's just a lot of really amazing people in this room right now, mm. and it's it, it, I, I feel like a. Like a Levi's jeans ad or something, or uh, it's a, it's a it's a music video where it's like everyone's having a good time and barbecuing, and there's people doing yoga in the yard for no apparent reason, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Wow, well, this is cool." Look <laughs> <laughs> like at bonfires. Yeah, there's bonfires. No, yeah, and bonfires. people throwing horseshoes and things, and yeah. I, I, and I'm very thankful for for being here, mm. and I can and I make my living painting, and I and I tr- and, and I try my darndest to. Keep my painting on spot and continuing to improve myself, and that's stressful as well. Especially, yeah. you know, it doesn't get it doesn't get easier when you're when you get better.
0: Yeah, I remember there was a, uh, a quote from Lance Armstrong, of course, much much maligned now that all the uh, yeah. all the stuff come out. I'm sure he said some great things, <laughs> but uh, but. Uh, I mean, you still have to get on the bike and cycle. And I remember he yeah. was talking about um, you know winning Tour de France and stuff, or like however many times, I think it's like seven times or whatever. But he was talking about cycling, and he said it never gets easier. Yeah, It never gets easier. You're just able
1: to kind of withstand it in a way. I think the funny thing is that, so yeah, Lance Armstrong did performance-enhancing drugs, won seven Tour de France's. Think of all the people that compromised their ethics and did drugs and still didn't do well. Yeah. It's, uh oh, Like, that's a, the, like the, the coming up for air moment. Oh, although, you do have weird. It's odd, especially with the. I, I read a book called The, the Cheating Culture. Mm. And, it's, and it's how the United States specifically has uh, garnered a culture where not only is it okay to cheat, It's encouraged in the sense that... And it brings up sports where, you know, Barry Bonds... If you had the opportunity to cheat, Mm -hmm. make $10 million, become an icon, and then get caught, be fined Mm $250,000, and then stop playing versus being mediocre the rest of your life, would you take that option Mm -hmm. or... In business, where if you if you f- commit fraud and you make billions of dollars and then you're arrested and you spend six months in jail, yeah. and you're out, even though you spent six months in jail, that's like yeah, you still have the two hundred
0: fifty million dollars you made, yeah, and you know bonuses, or whatever the heck,
1: and like in the eyes of the government, you have paid your time, so it's like it's almost a. Fiscally smart, idea. it's it's a sound investment yeah. to commit fraud, even if you do get caught. Mm. And it's 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 sad. And that's a that's a weird tangent. You got <laughs> it, but it's raining in the background. I know. I, I think I think it's the weather. It's all sad. the Weather got me thinking about sad stuff. Let's let's talk about happy stuff. Oh. Um, cool. I'm painting decapitated kids now. <laughs> yeah. They're not kids. They're like. Seventeen, so I guess they're not, they're not quite adults, but they're not kids either. Cool. Well,
0: actually, I remember speaking of said. Uh, whenever I went to the, the city gallery,
1: the Bartholomew exhibit.
0: Yeah, I got real bummed out, and I think it was yeah, it had a lot to do with just what was going on with me at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, really, really,
1: really bummed out, and did. I, I Honestly, it did not... I, I've discovered that my moods and thoughts kind of leak their way into the narratives without me knowing. Mm-hmm. For me, this show was supposed to be a happy show about someone uh, discovering what he loves to do. I, I guess for people who are feeling it, for the Piccolo Spalato show, I did... A series of paintings about this dog who discovers he loves playing the piccolo and then finds his audience with the, with these cardinals and the bird the, the, the birds <laughs> yeah not, not the priesthood no um and so if like originally for me it was a story about a, a dog finding out what he likes to do and then finding an audience mm-hmm. and it wasn't until the show was put together that there was this weird isolation. The, this whole other story about this dog who was very awkward, uh, sort of shunned by his fellow brother dogs,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and sort of sought refuge in the Piccolo. Yeah. And in a way, it, it very much reflects my life in some ways, where I have used my art as a refuge... For as a way uh, it, is, it is a way to escape it yeah. is a form of escape isn't for me and that and I guess I'm thankful that I found a healthy outlet mm. for that I mean I don't know I'd probably I don't think I'd go to drugs but I'd probably play a lot of video games yeah. I think I, I would be a really heavy World of Warcraft player with a lot of Cheeto dust I think that's yeah. like if if I found a job someplace else, I mm. would be playing video games a lot. Yeah. and I I feel like art's been a very productive outlet for that. Mm. So yeah, it, it the show became very sad, and I didn't know why. I a year ago I was up in Vermont, just painting at my grandmother's house, mm. and it rained every single day, and I was there for a month, and it was cold. It was I think March. And it was just it was near frozen rain it was cold it was cloudy every single day it snowed twice I was not ready for that kind of weather and so I did the body work and I shipped it home I shipped it back to Charleston I came back and Robert and Meg the gallery owners looked at it and they said there's not a there's not a single smile (laughs) in all 12 of these paintings it's just a bunch of people looking really sad indoors and I didn't mean I didn't intentionally do that it just kind of came out like that Mm -hmm. but i i but I've now learned that like having that honesty in the work and it, it comes with not thinking too much about it mm. when you're just like this is interesting I'm, I'm gonna explore where this goes and that's how and I think that's how the truth like the real truth comes out when you're not thinking too much yeah I've uh been like contributing to some grit and stuff and
0: you know usually what I'm writing is, is sort of political and everything, and I fought with that, with okay, well, how do I, you know, walk that line of uh, not having this be too dry, not having it be you know, like a you know, like a college essay or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, the academia I, language? Yeah, uh, well, not even not even the, you know, the kind of overly Latinized, like switching words and stuff, but um, I, I found that if I just focus on what I want to say, and, and actually focus on, it's like, okay, well, how do you, why are you writing this? Because you get you know, frustrated with these things that you see. Focus on that and don't worry about uh, how it it comes out. And then when that happens, that's when, like you said, that's when I, I do see myself.
1: Do your editors look at your work when you're being like that and saying, this is what the good stuff is? Or, because I imagine you, you not everything like you need to get it okayed by someone else first right yeah
0: but, but it's it's more of a um,
1: or is it your personal
0: no no it, they 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 edit it, edit it and post it um, but it's more of a it's
1: do you want to plug your blog a,
0: huh uh, sure I mean it's my blog it's it's on Charleston Grid, but it's uh, my particular part is the title is Uncommon Sense and uh, basically like of macroscopic political stuff, uh, but which that in and of itself sounds pretentiously active. Macroscopic political, Mac, political spectrum. But but yeah, it, I think the the way the blog goes, it, it's more about as little kind of editing mm-hmm. and stuff as possible, um, and it's, it's more just to kind of make it make sure there's it, it's clear.
1: everything. I, I think the scary thing at least for me is like I, I paint between 100 and 150 paintings a year mm. I've been keeping that clip up for about 5 years now mm. and so I've done between 5 and 700 paintings mm. and like you find your voice and you find what people like but then you know that you're going to have to leave that and go someplace else Mm. and it's because you you don't want or like at least for me I don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over again so Mm -hmm. it's scary to say this is good stuff I need to leave this good place and do something else and uh, it involves exploration it involves constantly challenging yourself and some paintings don't work out Mm -hmm. it's okay to write a bad article to experiment but you will learn from it and expand to do other things I am I'm I'm going through this whole stage of painting acrylics, and I'm painting skulls, and it's, and I don't know if people are going to like them or not, but I enjoy painting them, and I have fun, and I guess in the back of my mind, I assume if I am always challenging myself and always having fun, people are going to grab onto that. So, I guess my end goal as an artist is to not—it's not the work in particular that's important; it's my lifetime of wandering, of experimenting, of of this. I guess dedicated play Mm. and I guess exploration of myself but also the emotions and how they relate to other people. And with that, it's more than just any particular painting. So the idea of trying to make a painting good, that stress, that obligation is lifted. So it's just another step along this path. And I hope that I can just keep on exploring that for my lifetime.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks. That's, yeah. I think we're... That's good. It's yeah. a good button. Yeah. It's good. good stop. See? We left we left out high now. Woo! The rain subsided. Thomas, thank you, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was that's about to good. say, keep it
1: crispy. <laughs> <laughs>